May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Don't take no for an answer. You ever heard that one? Don't take no for an answer. That's what um, companies tell their salespeople when they're going out to do cold calls. <laughs> Don't take no for an answer. Be persistent. You know, keep at it. It sounds easier than it actually is, though, of course. If you've ever actually tried to sell something to somebody and they don't want to be sold, I mean, it's very difficult to not take no for an answer. Sometimes they're pretty insistent that you do, in fact, take no for an answer. Um, which led to the second axiom I learned in, when I was a salesperson way back when, a long time ago, which is you have to take five no's for every yes that you get. And I would say, but what about not taking no for an answer? Well, when that happens, then you have to take five no's for every yes that you finally get. Same message though, right? Be persistent. Don't give up. Keep, keep at it. Um, and then there's this one. Um, don't take a no from someone who cannot give you a yes. I think that was Eleanor Roosevelt who actually coined that sort of phrase. But don't take a no from someone who cannot give you a yes. Have you ever heard this one? You know, this is, uh, this is when you call the... Um, you know, the cable company, and they say, well, you know, we just can't get out there today. <laughs> you know, well, maybe you could if you really wanted to, but the person that you're speaking to could not authorize that. So you have to, you know, kind of be persistent. Are you able to say yes? No, I'm not. Well, then you're not the person you need to talk to, right? Or, or maybe, um, sorry, sir, but there's nothing that can be done. Really? There really is nothing that can be done because I feel like something could be done if you really wanted to. And if you had the authority to do it, then you could do something about it. Don't take a no from someone who cannot say yes. They lack the authorization, so that's why they're saying no. That's the only thing they can say is no. So you have to be persistent, this, um, this axiom sort of pushes. I read the story this week about um, a lawyer who, who had a client. It seems that the BMV um, was telling this person that his car wasn't registered when, in fact, he was, and he actually had the paperwork to prove it. But he kept calling the BMV, and they would they, they would say, I'm sorry, but there's nothing that can be done. And, and so the client eventually calls his attorney, who then calls the BMV and says, I need to speak to someone about a very important legal matter. It went up to the top of the food chain immediately. He gets the head of the BMV on the phone, and in five minutes the problem was solved. You see, he was getting no's for people who could not say yes. But when he finally got to the person who could say yes, they fixed the problem. Persistence. Don't give up. Don't take no for an answer. <laughs> take five no's for every yes. Don't take a no from someone who cannot say yes. You know, all of these are sort of emphasized in the same thing. Persistence, though, has a sibling. And that sibling is called wisdom. Don't waste your time with something that can yield no meaningful results. So that's what you do, right? You Let me talk to your superior. Let me talk to that person's superior. You work your way to the top of the food chain if, if necessary. You're persistent. You don't give up. Uh, the same article I read about the attorney with the BMV client had another art, another story, same same attorney. His, his client was having this problem with um, with Geico, the insurance company. And, um, and the client had tried many, you know, a dozen or so people before he finally gave up and caused his attorney. And the attorney was able to get through to the office of the president. The president wouldn't speak to him. But he said he wanted to get rid of this problem. And so, again, in five minutes, it's, you know, it, was, it was handed off to an assistant who, who solved the problem. Don't take a no from someone who cannot say yes. Find the person who can say yes and get to them. Be persistent. Don't give up. 
follow the, the, the chain of command all the way to the top if necessary. But there is a bit of a correlation to this, don't you? That sometimes you can get all the way to the top, and the man or woman at the top still cannot say yes. Sometimes there is a problem so complex, there are issues so convoluted, there are things that are so kind of difficult that even when you get to the top of the food chain, you still get a no. It might even be, I wish I could say yes, but no is the answer. You have to take the no. Sometimes life can be very disappointing. The, the letter to the, um, to the churches uh, called the Apocalypse of John, we call it the Revelation of St. John, right? The, the Revelation of St. John was written to churches who were going through a most difficult period of life. They were facing severe persecution. Many of them had lost their jobs. They were no longer able to participate in trade guilds that they were a part of because those trade guilds involved ritual sacrifice to pagan gods. And Christians could no longer participate in that, so they lost their jobs. Some of them lost um, their families because their families turned their backs on them because of the faith that they had, uh, they had turned to. Some of them lost their freedom. They were imprisoned, and some of them lost their lives. Apocalyptic literature, parts in Daniel, um, in, uh, in, in the New Testament, in St. John, other parts, uh, ancient um, uh, Hebraic apocalyptic literature uh, pieces were always written to people living in the midst of persecution. And their message is always the same. Be persistent. Don't give up. The writer says, I can see what you cannot see. I have been given this vision by God to see what's invisible to you. I'm telling you, don't give up. And so you'll see um, the, the writer of Revelation writing to these churches, and some of these churches are going through severe forms of persecution. Some of them also are going through times where they're, they're, they're really not being persecuted because they've given in to the culture. For instance, the church in Smyrna um, in, in Revelation chapter 2. The writer says, I know that your, your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Excuse me, and it's, uh, the church in Smyrna has been suffering. And you are rich, and the, 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 there are those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And then for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who conquer will not be hurt by the second death. Those who conquer, those who are persistent, those who overcome. Many people think that, um, that John's revelation was written to 21st century people. <laughs> they think that it, it really was written in a way that, you know, it wasn't written at all to the people who lived in the first century. It was just kind of stuck in a storehouse and meant to be brought out much later. In fact, many people thought it was 20th century, and then the 20th century came and went, and so apparently it must be the 21st century. Uh, and, and so it was as if they, it wasn't written, but it was. It was written to people who actually were going through very difficult, trying circumstances. It was written to people who were suffering, people who lived in what is the modern-day Turkey, undergoing great oppression. And John has a message for them, and by application, I think, a message for us. And it is this, that Christ is king over everything. Everything. Christ is king over everything in all times, in places, all powers, all nations, all events of this world. Christ is king over all. 
He tells this to the churches, and in this beginning passage, the passage that was in our, our, our reading this morning, um, chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, he, he goes through this, and, and as I was reading through it, I noticed all of a sudden it kind of leapt from the page, this all-inclusive nature. It's every verse is saturated by this kind of through and through, all and everything, every time, every place. Let's go through them, if you would. The first part of chapter, or verse 4, doesn't actually appear in our lesson today, um, and it's John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Why seven churches? Why not eight? Certainly there are more than seven churches in Asia. Because in John's Semitic thinking, seven is a very important number. It's very inclusive. This is, this is um, the way ancient Jews thought, that, that seven meant a, a sort of a completeness, a fullness, a wholeness. John is saying to the church, the church Catholic, the church universal, all the churches in all times and places... I have a message for you. It's to the whole church. And then the second part, verse 4, the, the part that begins in our lesson, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. From the one who is and was and is to come. Present tense is... Past tense was, future tense is to come. The, I am writing to you from the one who is over all time. The ancient of days, Daniel calls him. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. The whole church receives a message from the king who is over all time. Keep on going. Look at verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins and by his blood made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion, look at this, forever and ever, forever and into the ages of ages, is what he actually says, the king of all time, to the whole church, this king receives glory that's going to last into eternity. The one who has freed us from our sins, to him be glory and dominion, power, Forever and ever. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye. How many eyes? Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Every eye will see him. Every tribe will acknowledge him. This king of glory who is over all times, who writes through the whole church, who has every power and dominion into the ages of ages, will come and everyone will see him. This is an over-emphasis, uh, uh, isn't it? This is an emphatic, this over and over, through and through. Verse 8 is the crescendo then, isn't it? The Lord speaks. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who is, who was, is to come. We see this same, this kind of bookend, this inclusio happening right here from the beginning of the end. But one more. Um, and he says, uh, where am I? <laughs> who is to come? The Almighty. So in verse 8, now we have a thrice repetition of the all-inclusive power of God. He, he is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end. Everything that is and in between, right? This is all things. And then he says it again, over all time. And then a third time, the Almighty. Pantocrator. You know, this is this over everything. All power, all authority. 
Why is John so keen to use these superlatives? Why does he want us to see everything in such a holistic way? Well, if you're living in a world filled with persecution and violence, if you're living in a world where your job has been taken, your, your livelihood has been removed, your freedom has been removed, you've lost family and friends because of your faith in Jesus, John is saying, this is not all there is. Hold on. See the bigger picture. Understand that there is a bigger role at work in the world. There's much bigger forces at work. Not just this moment. And I know this moment in time is real. But it is not all there is. Don't give up. Don't give up ever. This suffering is temporary. The words of St. Paul should ring in, should echo in our ears, right? I reckon that these sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's a real struggle in the world that John writes about. But remember, remember who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember who is the Ancient of days. There's a chapter yet to be written. Hold on. Be persistent. Don't give up. You know, the Western world is not filled with the suffering of the people uh, to whom John writes. Um, The Western world today is a world of... um, Largely luxury and ease. I know. I know there are people out there, the atheists, the secularists, um, whatever else, you know, that are out there that are sort of trying to push religion out, to, out of the, 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 the sort of community life and whatever. But it, even that is not real persecution. That your friends laugh and snicker if you pray over your lunch is not real persecution. That, you know, we go through uh, times where people, you know, disregard the importance of the church is not real persecution. Not in the way that people have suffered, not in the way that people were suffering that John was writing to in the first century. There are people in the world who are suffering real physical persecution. There are people in the last century, we have had more Christian martyrs in the last century than in the 20 that led up to it. There's real violence and persecution against Christians in the world. You know where where, where people who followed Jesus were first called Christians, right? They were first called Christians in Antioch, which is in Syria. There are still Christians in Syria. They are suffering violence and real persecution. There are Christians all over the world in places like Iran and Iraq and Pakistan and Afghanistan and Nigeria and Kenya and Libya who are suffering. Just this month in Pakistan, uh, a Christian couple were, um, were beaten and then burned to death by people who charged them with a crime of blasphemy because they did not uh, revere Allah in the same way that they thought, th- thought that they ought to have done. Uh, you remember in February this year, there were, um, there were 21 Coptic Christians who were working as migrants in Libya. They were from Egypt, and they were in Libya working, and they were captured by ISIS militants and beheaded for one reason, because they were Christians. There are people who are suffering real physical persecution in this world, And the tragedy in the West really is that we don't suffer that sort of persecution, but a a far more insidious type, one of comfort and ease. You know, there were those who were suffering in that way in the first century as well. John writes to them in Revelation chapter 2, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea he writes, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, 
pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, we have persecution to deal with, not of the same sort. How do we resist the temptations to selfishness, to serve the gods of money, comfort, and ease? How do we stand firm in the face of international persecution? How do we handle the tensions that we're faced with? You see, because we have a real enemy. We do. We have a real enemy who wants to destroy the church and our faith. And I think John's answer in the Revelation is this. Remember the God you serve. Remember that Jesus is king over everything. Everything, all times and all places, all powers, all authority. He is king in every place in the world. He is the timeless one. Um, On July 3rd, 1940, uh, Winston Churchill informed the Soviet uh, ambassador. Um, He says this, My general strategy at the present is to last out the next three months. 1940, Germans are moving across Europe. It looks as if they're going to move across Britain. Looks as if they're going to push into uh, to, um, Russia. And, and Churchill says, I'm just trying to hold on for three more months. Because if I can hold on for three more months, then I can let three more, and three more, and then maybe six, and then maybe a year until we can win this war. See, it seemed that Germany was going to take over all of Europe. And most people, even the most ardent Britain, had given up hope that there was any chance of pushing the Germans back. But I read this biography this week that said this. Despite the early setbacks, this biographer writes of Churchill, despite the early setbacks, unlike numerous others, Churchill never considered the cause lost. There was hardly a suggestion in the hundreds of memoranda speeches, and recorded private remarks of the Prime Minister during the period that he doubted the ultimate, uh, the ultimate outcome. On the contrary, he expected a British victory. He expected to win. We are going to win. We are going to be persistent. We're going to be strong. We will overcome. I think there's a danger in the church, especially the church in the West, to become cynical, to kind of give up, to think that this is the best that it is, you know, the best that we can have. We're either watching the church being persecuted afar or lulled to sleep by money, sex, and power. And at times it looks like maybe the enemy wins or is winning. And John's revelation is, is, a, is a tonic to that cynicism. It's a, it's a pushback. No, remember the God that you serve, the Ancient of Days, who is over all times, all places, all powers, all authorities. That every eye will see Him. That every knee will bow to Him. Every tongue will confess. That this, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our enemy is strong, yes. But He is no match for the King of everything. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.